Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. Week in, week out, we will help prepare activists in Canada and internationally for the coming revolutionary events by analyzing all of the developments in Canada. We hope that you can join us every week. With that being said, let's get into it. This week, we are discussing the ongoing blockades, the so-called Freedom Convoy, uh, Trudeau's new Emergency Measures Act, uh, and the lifting of COVID safety measures. Uh, with me, I have Alex Grant, uh, editor with Fightback Magazine. Uh, well, Alex, why don't you, uh, can you explain what's going on? What is this Emergency Measures Act that Trudeau has just uh, put in place yesterday? Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Joel. And Justin Trudeau has had his Just Watch Me moment, uh, echoes of his father, and uh, as uh, instituted the new war measures act the emergency measures act against these blockades and and these are some quite draconian limits on on democratic rights and and there's a lot of confusion out there about uh, whether or not uh, socialists should support this we we say no they should not support it and it will explain exactly why that in this act well what it does it is it cuts off their funding, it uh, makes it illegal to fund them, and but most importantly, from a working class perspective, I'll, I'll read out some of the text here, that the cabinet has the power to pro prohibit public assembly that may reasonably be expected to lead to a breach of the peace, to prohibit travel to, from, or within any specified area, to forbid the use of a specified property and to secure protected places. What's more, this is backed up with fines up to $5,000 and up to five years of imprisonment. Now, this stuff can be used against any worker. This stuff can be used against counter-protesters, against the far right. And, and the real motive behind uh, putting this into place is because of the rising counter-protest, working-class counter-protest movement against the far right, that uh, it was frustrated at the inaction of the state, working-class people organically were getting up and, and saying, we, we need to get these thugs off the street. So uh, yeah, there's more, more detail, I'll pass it over to you, Joel, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, quite an incredible moment in Canadian history. The last time this act was used, 
the War Measures Act, that is, uh, was 52 years ago during the October crisis in Quebec, uh, and it was largely used to clamp down on the left, um, the labor movement, hundreds of arrests. Um, so yeah, this is, I guess, first time as tragedy, then as farce, both Trudeau's implementing this. Um, but I guess this gets into the question, you know, you've described why this should be actually worrying to left-wing activists, to indigenous activists, to environmentalists, to work uh, to, to the labor movement. Uh, but there seems to be, uh, at least as far as I can tell, uh, quite a bit of maybe support for this sort of thing seems, seems to be in the movement. I think it comes from a lot of people just kind of very upset, very tired of this convoy. But I mean, it leads to the question then, you know, it, what is the alternative? Do we have to support this, this, this draconian measure from the federal government as socialists? Uh, is there an alternative to this? Well, there's totally an alternative. And well, to explain the context, the support for the convoy has been going down. Uh, at the beginning, they had about one in three support. And since then, it's gone down to 20%. And people have got more sick and tired of the harassment against the people of Ottawa, the uh, frequent racist outbursts, you know, swastikas, Confederate flags, uh, and harassment of people wearing masks, and harassment of healthcare workers. People are more and more sick of that. In fact, that's been reflected in the polls as well, saying that about two thirds or even 70% of the population want the counter protest, want the, uh, the convoy cleared off the streets and prepared to have them arrested or even use the military against them. But the state wasn't acting. The state wasn't acting. Actually, not only was the state not acting, the state was seen to be complicit, totally complicit. There's this video of a cop saying, oh, I support you guys 100 uh, percent. The convoyers say, oh, yeah, the cops have been fantastic. Uh, they're all collaborating. In fact, there's one of their head guys was a strategic analyst, an Islamic an Islamophobic uh, conspiracy theorist working for Stephen Harper, uh, part of the state forces. And uh, so he's been giving them strategy. Uh, but there's been estimate, there's been something like 50 military personnel present and retired who've expressed their support and 150 cops uh, expressed their support or, or retired, it's present or retired. So people increasingly came to the conclusion, look, the, the state is not willing to act, so we'll start acting. And, 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 and that's the real threat to the state. And that's what's forcing them to act now. Yeah, well, before we get into that, there's an interesting example uh, from Montreal, where there was a convoy protest uh, last week. Uh, and what did the police do? Well, there was a counter demo and the, a, a counter demo of a few hundred people and the police, the Montreal riot cops showed up full riot gear surrounded the counter demo. It has come out now that many of the police had a thin blue line, basically cop lives matter type badge, which has been brought up in response to black lives matter protests uh, to defend killer cops. Uh, they had this, these badges and everyone in a lot of people in Quebec are, and in Montreal activists are demanding like, what's going to happen to these police? Are they going to, is there going to be some sort of action against these cops who are clearly on a, well, they're on the side of the, on the, on the side, on the side of the far right. Uh, in Quebec, there's been this debate over Bill 21, the Islamophobic Bill 21. And one of the arguments has been made, well, why would you let a 
Muslim woman wear a hijab uh, when you wouldn't let someone wear a political, like a, and specifically someone in a position of authority, like a police officer, well, you wouldn't let them wear a political badge. Well, what about this? Nobody's saying anything about this. So I think there's a lot of hypocrisy shown here. Uh, as many of the things you've mentioned, this thing uh, in Ottawa, you had some very interesting events. So after counter demos were, as we covered last week, if, you, if, you, if you're not aware of this, please listen to our, our episode last week. Counter demos were, uh, there they were, they were, they were bureaucrats and, and left-wing identity politics activists that tried to sabotage counter-protesting the convoy for, uh, for reasons that they said it was endangering to Black and Indigenous people of color, which is, of course, ridiculous. Yes. Scandalous, <laughs> scandalous use of uh, identity politics, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now, but the, the pressure was mounting. It's been two and a half weeks. Something had to be done. The police weren't acting, as we've described, and residents started taking it into their own hands. On Saturday, uh, PSAC finally called a demonstration far away from the convoy, but they called one, which is good in and of itself. And over 4,000 people showed up, maybe more. We don't even know. But that's significant. I think that in people's minds, people started to see, wait a minute, we're more than them. We can do something about this. And then on the Sunday, spontaneously, started with a couple of dozen dog walkers, actually, in a working class neighborhood. They, they, they blocked trucks that were trying to join the convoy. Uh, and then it spread, and it was hundreds and hundreds of people. There was I a standoff. Even thousands turned up. Eventually. I think maybe even thousands. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it became that sort of flashpoint in the class struggle. And uh, uh, the cops intervened. And what did they do? They tried to make the move to let the convoy through. Uh, and thankfully, the people did not move. And the convoy had to leave. The convoy trucks had to leave. And so that was a victory for the movement. So I think this is the context in which this state of emergency law is put in place. I think it's a that working class people were taking matters into their own hands. Um, anyway, I don't know if you have anything to add on to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's an interesting dialectic of consciousness here, right? Because you, you cannot support the New War Measures Act. You cannot. That this creates a terrible precedent and will, will actually be, now it's used, it will be used again absolutely guaranteed, will be used again, just like back-to-work legislation or the notwithstanding clause. Those was deemed to be special, unique circumstances. Now they're thrown around like confetti. So to create this precedent now is terrible, and, it, and, and it's terrible that the NDP are supporting this. We'll get back to that later. Uh, but we, we should understand the dialectic of consciousness. Uh, people don't view things as a, a strict left, right, or, you know, uh, they haven't read Lenin or anything like that of it. So people start with, they oppose the far right. They oppose these yahoos and then they want them gone. And so the first part of consciousness is, all right, police should come in and kick them out. But the police aren't coming in and kicking them out because there's widespread sympathy between the police and these far-right agitators. And, and then people get increasingly frustrated. Why are, they, why are they allowed to stay? Would this happen to a Black Lives Matter or a Wet'suwet'en Indigenous protest or a workers' protest? People, Everyone knows the answer to that. <laughs> everybody knows the answer to that. Actually, we even, our comrades in Montreal 
immediately facing riot cops in you know full uh, uh, full shields and masks and armor and stuff what those same cops are hugging the convoyers right uh, helping them set up their hot tubs and their saunas right people see the hypocrisy here and so what starts from a natural okay why don't the police get in and do something a realization of the class role of the state not from reading Lenin, but from life. And, and then, okay, state isn't going to do it. We'll do it. And, and then you had a scandalous sort of action of uh, the labor leaders, which, which should have organized it in its mass before. And maybe Joel, I'll hand it over to you here, Joel, to talk about some of these scandalous actions. Well, yeah, as we, we talked a bit about last week, um, they, they sabotaged or attempted to sabotage the counter demos in Ottawa. Uh, people tried to do similar things in different places. Uh, in Edmonton, they did something similar. Uh, in Toronto, there was a group of rank and file doctors and nurses, as far as I understand, mm -hmm. that organized a counter protest uh, that was smaller than the convoy, but it was it, it, it was building momentum. Then this past weekend, Ontario implemented a state of emergency, the province, uh, and the people canceled the counter demo. But the interesting thing about the state of emergency is it, it actually hasn't <laughs> impacted the convoy. It's actually just shut down counter demos because the people organizing the counter demos have shut it down. Now, what seems to have happened is that the rank and file doctors and nurses that organized the first counter demo were, were removed from the labor bureaucracy. So they kind of got away with organizing it. Whereas after then the next time, the second time, I think there was people trying to control it and whispering in their ears, it's dangerous, stop it. Uh, uh, and so you really see this conservative bureaucracy in the labor movement clamping down and trying to stop counter protests. Um, but yeah, maybe we can get into that uh, a bit in the next point, uh, which is- uh, Actually, let me- Oh, you want to come in here? Yeah. yeah, well, actually the, the reality is if that Toronto counter protest was not canceled, it, it would have been way be bigger than the previous week. And actually I, I did some undercover journalism in the uh, convoyers and they were half the size. So it was actually possible that the counter protest in Toronto would have been bigger than uh, the convoy protest. And still that's unofficial. That's just a bunch of doctors and nurses organizing it, not the official labor movement. But you had a, a, another significant betrayal by the union leadership was down in Windsor with the blocking of the Ambassador Bridge. This is one of the uh, arguments for why they need the state of emergency. So the Ambassador Bridge, that is um, the largest border crossing between Canada and the United States. Anything between sort of like 350 and $400 million of trade every day over that bridge. And, and that was blocked for a week. And it ended up shuttering the auto plants uh, organized by Unifor. And so now you've got thousands of auto workers, unionized auto workers, idled, nothing better to do. And you can see the logical thing, they said, well, we're gonna head down to that bridge and solve it. What was the re response from the Unifor uh, union bureaucracy? You can see they were under pressure. We appreciate all of the letters of concern sent in from uniform members and your willingness to take counteraction. I think that's an extreme, extreme understatement of the 
anger from the ranks. But to ensure your safety, we are asking local union leadership not to engage directly with these protesters. Scandalous. Utterly scandalous. This, this is what Trotsky talked about in a fantastic little pamphlet he wrote called The Trade Unions in the Epoch of Imperialist Decay, saying that the union bureaucrats end up becoming a second line of the capitalist state in times of crisis. And that's exactly it. They support, they say, no, 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 we can't do anything. Let the state intervene. When the, and when the state is full of, well, there's fascists in there. There's blatant fascist, far-right elements that actually there's even two members of special forces, Joint Task Force Two, two or three members of JTF Two. That's the equivalent of the Green Beret or, or the SAS in Britain. That uh, They came out in support of the convoy. And this shows that the state is totally complicit in this and you can't rely upon them to act. We need independent workers action. So. Before we get into the next point, I'd just like to take a short commercial break. We've been going on for a little long. You are listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution. Uh, and I, I just want to say we got the biggest event, biggest Marxist event in the country coming up this weekend. Everyone's very excited about it. The Montreal Marxist Winter School. It, of course, will not be in Montreal. We are not able to do it in, with, the, with the Omicron situation. Uh, so it's going to be online. So therefore, there's no reason not, there's no excuse not to attend it. It's going to be three days this weekend. Uh, there's already almost 900 people registered. Uh, you can be one of them. Uh, it's time to, to join the Marxists to come to the Marxist Winter School. You can go to our website at marxist.ca and, uh, and register. So I really encourage everyone to register to that. We got a, a great lineup of presentations. Uh, Alex will be presenting on the Marxist theory of rent. Uh, I don't know if you have a couple of words to say about that, Alex. Yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, doesn't uh, hasn't been uh, discussed theoretically very much in the labor movement. It's like, look, uh, landlords are parasites. How do they extract their uh, parasitic tribute from the labor of the working class? We need to understand that. And it's with the assistance of state power. And it entirely explains how with homelessness rises and that the state is forced to harass homeless people this is because only with that state intervention maintains property prices and prices people out of the market. But, you know, landlord adds no labor uh, and doesn't even produce a commodity. They've merely got a, a piece of paper saying that, that they've got a right to a piece of land that they played no role in creating. And, and, and so it's really interesting theory. And as Lenin said, without revolutionary theory, there is no revolutionary movement. We have to understand why capitalism is failing if we are going to overthrow it. Yeah, so that's just one of the presentations that will occur this weekend. Uh, uh, there are nine others. I won't go into all of them right now, maybe in a minute, but uh, we'll come back to that. But yeah, register for the Marxist Winter School uh, now. Go to our website, marxist.ca. You can find the link there uh, and register. Uh, I also encourage you to subscribe to our paper, Fight Back Magazine. It comes out every two weeks now. Uh, we've just moved up the publication rate. Uh, again, you can go to our website, marxist.ca, and subscribe to our paper. Become a solidarity subscriber. Give us a monthly amount of money. Help sustain our revolutionary work. Uh, and get, get yeah, hard-hitting Marxist analysis delivered to your door once every two weeks. Um, yeah, so let's get back into it here. Uh, well, yeah, we finished off by talking about really the scandalous role of labor, labor bureaucracy 
in their own words, opposed to counter demos and relying on the state uh, uh, apparatus. Um, but yeah, this leads, I guess, into the more of the, the political sphere of things. Uh, the New Democratic Party, which is uh, connected to the labor movement, it's, it was born of the, the Canadian labor movement, the trade unions, uh, and is uh, scandalously actually supporting the War Measures Act, which is not that surprising. It is connected to exactly what we've, we've just been discussing. Uh, but yeah, maybe you want to come in a bit more on this, Alex? Yeah, well, Jagmeet Trudeau, sorry, Jag Jagmeet Trudeau, <laughs> there's a Freudian slip for you. Jagmeet Singh, <laughs> uh, he, he, he made a statement yesterday, which, which he titled uh, Failure of Leadership. And, and he was trying to attack Trudeau while ironic. voting for Trudeau. But the, yes, the irony is, yes, failure of leadership by the NDP bureaucracy. And, and this isn't your normal failure of leadership of them just taking the wrong position. The NDP is actually in a pivotal point here. They could bring down the state of emergency. They could bring down the War Measures Act because the Conservatives are voting against it because they support the convoy. The Bloc are voting against it due to provincial rights. So the NDP actually has the deciding vote here in a minority parliament. And, and yet they are propping up the Liberals to show that they are relevant. They are just irrelevant. And, and combined with that, combined with supporting state power, and, which will be used against workers uh, now or in the future, creating that precedent, that uh, in, as well as supporting state power, they are sabotaging the thing that can actually stop the, uh, the convoy the far right. They're stopping the counter protesters, either NDP politicians or NDP supporting trade union bureaucrats. The crisis is working class leadership. This is something we've been saying for a century now, right? That the crisis is working class leadership. And that's why fight back exists. That's why the international Marxist tendency exists to resolve this crisis of working class leadership, to say that the workers are in fact strong Yes, a bunch of dog walkers did more in one afternoon than the state and the labor bureaucrats could do in three weeks, right? The, how much easier and better would that be if it was led and organized by the actual mass organizations of the working class, the trade unions, the NDP? Actually, actually there was other counter protests. There's a very good one in Kingston, very good one in Winnipeg. And, and, and that was an elemental movement uh, but the, the NDP is more and more proving itself irrelevant to radicalized workers and youth. Uh, not just radicalized workers and youth, workers and youth who don't want fascists on their streets. And using identity politics argument that if you're fighting racism, you're apparently a racist now. Scandalous, <laughs> just scandalous, but it reveals the bankruptcy of reformism and it reveals the bankruptcy of liberal identity politics. Yeah, Jagmeet's speech was was quite interesting, the one that you mentioned. He basically just said all of this bad stuff, Trudeau, bad, Trudeau, bad, 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 bad. That's why I and but I am supporting this, which has pr probably been that summarizes the approach of the NDP <laughs> in general over the past years. Bad, bad Trudeau, and we are supporting him. Uh, which again uh leads to people not seeing the NDP as any different. Uh and really uh I think it's also passed up a, a rather fantastic opportunity to expose the conservatives because big capital 
is getting upset at the convoy. They're causing them to lose lots of money. You can be damn sure that there are criticisms inside the Conservative Party about this, saying we need to stop this. It was okay when they were disturbing the Ottawa, downtown Ottawa in the streets. That wasn't so bad, but now they're blocking bridges and whatnot. Uh, they're stopping the movement of goods. Uh, uh, they should, you know, and if NDP didn't prop up the Liberals on this, eventually maybe the Conservatives would have to prop them up or maybe the Bloc, <laughs> that, thus exposing them and therefore strengthening the position of the NDP uh, in combination with mobilizing a mass movement on the streets of working class people uh, against the convoy. I think, yeah. you know, that was a fantastic, that, that would, that could have been a, fan, that would, that was a fantastic and, and not opportunity. Just stop there, right? And so yeah. it wouldn't just, and so it makes a huge difference whether the convoy is got rid of by the state. Yep. Um, and, and, and we'll see whether Trudeau can manage it this week. Like if, if he managed to, to, with these threats to sequester the funds of trucking companies and remove the insurance and, and, and then put, put it, uh, RCMP on the ground and uh, move them out, if he succeeds in that in this week, it will probably be popular. Mm -hmm. uh, if he doesn't succeed this week, then the anger will uh, be ramped up even further. But if, okay, if it gets uh, removed by the state, that has reactionary consequences that strengthens the state. If it gets removed by the working class, that has progressive revolutionary consequences. And it doesn't just stop there. It becomes a movement for proper health measures, proper payment of healthcare workers, a reduction of class sizes, you know, proper ventilation, and, uh, you know, and demanding all of this from the government. Movement has power. Movement has power, and that, so it makes a huge difference that we need to get rid of the, these yahoos, not the state. And it's possible. It's possible the working class is strong. They always tell us we're weak. We're not weak. We are incredibly strong. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a couple of slogans uh, just from my experience in the movement in Quebec that I find a good, uh, good to use in this moment. One is... We rely only on our own means, which I think is important. That is what this is all about. Working class people should rely on our own means, not on the government, not on the state. And what we're talking about is the police and the military here. Uh, and then there's also only the struggle pays. That's how you win. The struggle gets the goods. You know, it's working class people in struggle. And I think that a lot of the, well, the labor bureaucracy and a lot of people in the labor movement, they have forgotten this. It is way in the back of their minds or it's not even present. It's reliant on basically on the on the, the capitalist state and government to, to do things for them, which 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 doesn't lead anywhere good. It does not strengthen the movement. It leads to the strengthening of the right wing, actually. Uh, and we will see uh, we will see what happens. We'll observe the situation and we'll probably be back next week. Some talking about something revolving around this question as well. Um, but, yeah, we've been going on for a little while here. Maybe we can move move on. Uh, this is all connected to, uh, obviously, COVID-19, Omicron, uh, safety measures put in place by various levels of government. And that's, that's precisely what the convoy has been demanding to have uh, uh, removed. And actually, that's precisely what governments are now doing. This general mantra is learn to live with the virus or learn to die actually with the virus be comfortable with someone someone in your family uh, getting the virus and maybe dying uh, uh, and and the scandalous downplaying of the effects of omicron of the hospitalizations of the deaths which which is near record actually so 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. You want to come in with some details about what various levels of government have been doing? Yes, yes. So start with Scott Mull, uh, Premier of Saskatchewan, who has removed is the vaccine requirement and the mask mandate. And, and, and when he was uh, explaining that, he said, oh, vaccines don't work against Omicron. Blatantly, ridiculously anti-science attitude and false, 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 false. If you are triple vaxxed, you have 70% protection against catching COVID-19. You have 70% and you have 95% protection against being hospitalized. So it's blatantly false, but it's using the pressure and the pretext from the convoy in order to rapidly remove health and safety measures and to, to restart profiteering, restart profiteering. Then you had Jason Kenney in Alberta. Uh, I don't know if it's more or less or equally scandalous. More disgusting. Disgusting, sickening hypocrisy. And he said, oh, we need to stop the vilification of the unvaccinated. It's like the way that AIDS patients were treated in the 1980s. Joel, tell us why this is extra disgusting. Well, yeah, this is the discrimination against, uh, uh, well, it's really against homos it was connected to the discrimination against homosexuals in the 1980s. It was generally considered a gay, uh, gay virus. Uh, and this has led to, and so for Jason Kenney to therefore say unvaccinated people, are somehow like AIDS, uh, people with AIDS is, is absolutely ridiculous. There is no way well, he, can make he that was comparison. actually he was organizing in the 80s and 90s. He was organizing against AIDS oh, patients. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, he was organizing against AIDS patients to stop them having visitation rights when they were in hospital. Absolutely. So your same scandalous. sex partner, yeah, and that same sex partners had no visitation rights. Uh, organized by Jason Kenney and to, to him to sort of he, he was forced to apologize the backlash was immense yeah right um and and now you've got Ontario removing the uh, the, uh, the vaccine passport in a couple of weeks uh, on March 1st this is following sort of some European governments uh, Boris Johnson in Britain and and they're just trying to normalize death it's not that people aren't going to get infected they're not saying people aren't going to get infected they're saying just learn to live with it, learn to die Whatever. with it, or die and be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's that, um, what is it, that Shrek meme, you know, some of you may die, and that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the capitalists, the politicians, they don't mind. They don't mind. They're not the ones that are going to die. They're not the ones that have to work in unsafe conditions. So they, that's why there is such a concerted push to go back to normal. And if you don't work in unsafe conditions, you can affect their profits. So get back to work and just get used to it. I think that's the general mantra. And you see it in the mainstream media. We actually had an article talking about this. And then all the next week, uh, you had all these articles in the mainstream news, the Globe and Mail, the Post, all talking about, well, I guess we got to get used to living with the virus. Uh, uh, the big voice of the capitalist press pushing people back to back to normal in unsafe conditions. Um, there's also, yeah, there's there also an article the in Scientific American about this. Yeah, so Scientific American, not a political journal. 
It is a respected scientific journal. There's an editorial editorial statement there titled, There is nothing normal about one million people dead from COVID. Uh, this is referencing the United States. That the fact is that the media has normalized these deaths. That, you know, like in Ontario, 60 in January, 60, 70 people were dying every day to go in the media. You'd never tell. It's, oh, no, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not a big deal. Just imagine 60, 70 people die every day by terrorists. What, what would the media be doing? You know, it's like, and in today's news, 50 people die by terrorists, but that's much better than yesterday where 70 people died by terrorists, <laughs> right? No. Um, and a total ignoring of long COVID, right? Completely, okay, yeah. you personally are less likely to die uh, from Omicron, but thousands, if not millions of people are going to get uh, long COVID, lengthy repercussions of this. And then what about the immunocompromised? Is that, oh, they had a pre-existing condition. That's why they died. Well, I'm sorry, a significant percentage of present population have a pre-existing condition. Do we yeah. just want them to die now? We don't it's care. Okay, well, they die. <laughs> yes, they shall be sac sacrificed to the god Moloch, the almighty dollar. And, and that's what's happening. And there's going to be new variants. There's going to be new variants, and there's absolutely no guarantee that these new variants will be uh, uh, less virulent. Well, they they're, creating, they're creating the conditions for new variants, precisely, <laughs> especially guarantee. in countries that have low vaccine rates, which is actually due to the criminal, uh, the criminal actions of the governments like the Canadian government hoarding the vaccines, vaccine yeah. nationalism. Uh, so yeah, there will be new variants and we don't know what they'll look like, but yeah, there is no guarantee that they'll be less lethal uh, or less infectious. So yeah, it doesn't, in that sense, it's it's quite criminal what provincial and what different provincial governments have been doing um, and what the bourgeoisie has been doing in general in pushing people to learn to die with the virus, learn to live with it. Um, I guess all of this to say the convoy, the War Measures Act, uh, this, well, the state of emergency, this, this new push of, of learn to live with it. I guess a lot of, a lot of people kind of get stuck because they're like, well, look, it's been two years. The government's actions are contradictory. They're, they're, it's like a yo-yo. They're like lockdown, don't lock down, open up, don't open up, back and forth. Uh, another vaccine do we have to take another one and another one and they don't entirely <laughs> they don't entirely protect you so where is the end people a lot of people can't see an end in sight so i guess this comes back to uh well, what do we do uh and, and then the convoy i think some people support the convoy because they are fatigued with covid and they do see the the mismanagement of the government and they don't trust the government right there is a, a significant support for this sort of thing uh not necessarily covidiots but just skeptical you know uh, so i guess this all relates back to you know what's the marxist position you know are we like defenders of trudeau and the government and the vaccine mandates and all these repressive measures that the government puts in place the different lockdown measures and everything or are we just uh anti-state anti-trudeau anti-everything that is being done uh, uh and therefore pro-convoy <laughs> i think there, there is a false dichotomy that's being posed here so i guess for our point of view, we should get back to like, what is the Marxist position? 
What is the yeah. Marxist approach? And that is a big takeaway we're trying to get out of this podcast because a lot of events that transpire can be very confusing. And you see this on the left, very confused uh, views on both sides. I think you get pro, you get people that are basically pro Trudeau supporting more measures and you get some people some people on the left, yeah, that are pro-convoy. They think it's some sort of working class uprising or something. So maybe, Alex, I don't know if you want to introduce this. What's the Marxist position on all of this? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you can't, you can't wish, the vac- so wish the virus away. Right? You can't just pretend that the, the pandemic is over when it's not over. That, that's a scientific reality. But the reality is, if we lived in a socialist society, the pandemic would have been over months after it started because we would have taken a fundamentally different approach of putting people and public health before corporate profits. And it's always been profits before people under capitalism. So it isn't a question of pro-mandate, pro-Trudeau or anti-mandate, pro-convoy, pro-anti-vaxxer. It's a question of workers' control of health and safety and putting public health before corporate profits. That, look, if the work, nobody wants to to shut things down, right? Nobody wants to have uh, these uh, lockdowns and restrictions. But if it's necessary to get rid of the virus, then it's a short, sharp shock. And the question is, it needs to be under control of the workers because, yes, I I entirely sympathize with people who are skeptical about the pharmaceutical corporations and the capitalist state. There's lots of uh, immigrants, indigenous people who have got very, very bad experience from the capitalist state and medical experimentation. So, of course, they're going to be highly skeptical over the messaging from that state. must take the vaccine it's like what are you trying to put in my body right but the vaccines do work and this would be way different if it's coming to you from your fellow workers rather than from the boss who's using it to break up unions or from the state who who then switch on a dime turn on a dime in order to uh, increase profiteering And, and and the the regulations they put through are totally hypocritical. So you, you saw that in Quebec, where they had the the what was it the um, curfew? The curfew, yeah, yeah, which non, is totally non, ba- not yeah. based on science. It, yeah. There was no there was no proof that any of this worked, which they were putting into place. So you couldn't meet up with your family and friends uh, over the holidays. Actually, that's when it started uh, in December 2020. Uh, but they weren't. There were almost virtually no restrictions on businesses, uh, schools. <laughs> the main, all the science showed that over eighty percent of all cases were spreading in workplaces, manufacturing, and schools, and they were not doing hardly anything about that. Uh, and uh, yet, you can't meet up with your family and friends. So, understandably, a lot of people have become quite critical, and they're, they're, they 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 see the measures of the government to be nonsensical because they have been inconsistent. They're not putting in measures to stop COVID. They're putting in measures to cover their ass and make it seem as though they're putting in measures to stop COVID when really they're protecting profits. They're doing everything without harming profit, which is 
virtually nothing because profit <laughs> occupies such a massive part of the capitalist system. Uh, so really, yeah, that sums up the approach uh, that we're seeing here. And I think the curfew is probably the best example of that in Quebec. Uh, but yeah, you have this same thing with a lot of the... Uh, the safety measures or the lockdown measures that have been put in place. They're inconsistent uh, and they don't, they haven't been working so much, some of them. So, exactly. um, and so, and if you, if you put the health and safety under control of the working class, well, first of all, what we would do, the workers would decide what is genuinely essential and what isn't essential. And then essential work gets double danger pay and everybody else gets uh, uh, full pay, either working from home or if their job cannot be done from home, then you hire them as contact tracers, right? You, you hire them to end the pandemic and, and you mobilize for need. And, and you also you know, would cut class sizes, institute paid sick days, you pay nurses and healthcare workers way more stop the burnout. Actually this reopening, it, it's, it's spitting in the face of healthcare workers, frankly. The, the, the demoral, demoralization there, especially after they were told they're not allowed to wear scrubs for fear of harassment from the convoyers. You're right? a hero. You're a hero, but don't let anyone know it because yes. someone might beat you up or spit on you. Yes. And we're, and we're going to uh, keep your wages at 1%, even though inflation is 5%. Utterly scandalous. So uh, with that approach, we, we could have we could have ended the pandemic in May of 2020. This would all be done and, and put forward uh, all the vaccines. Actually, Cuba. Cuba is not you know, a class of society by any means, but it's got a nationalized planned economy. There's problems in Cuba, but they've produced vaccines and they've got massive vaccine up, uptake rate because people understand, because people don't feel like this is being forced on them by a corporate a bureaucracy or the state or, or the capitalist state. So a, a, a healthy worker state would be even more powerful with that. And if there's a few people who are holdouts, well, fellow workers would say, look, yeah, take the vaccine for everybody's good. That'll help protect us all, help protect the people who can't take the vaccine, young people, children, babies, right? Um, do it for a community solidarity. We, we would have we dealt with this... Um, you know, over a year ago, and we would have exported those vaccines to, to Latin America and Africa and Asia. So there isn't that reservoir for the creation of uh, new variants. Yeah, could you imagine the difference if it was the vast majority of truckers who are vaccinated that decide that we all need to be vaccinated because you're putting us all at risk? The, the small minority of truckers that aren't vaccinated would not be, oh, you dictatorial government. It's like, no, it's your fellow truckers. They're saying, get vaccinated, dummy. <laughs> you need to, it's for the it's for our community, it's for our family, it's for the all, all the workers, you know? So I think- And, and, and the workers yeah. controlled by the truckers would lead to better wages and conditions for truckers. As Which well. as we covered last week have been eroding, you know? So there are legitimate anxieties and concerns about the situation, I think, from the truckers, uh, which isn't being captured by this convoy protest, not being addressed because it's not a working class movement, uh, as we, we covered previously. Um, but yeah, I guess the big takeaway here is, and this is something that we really want to draw out of this podcast, and that's something what Marx is all about, the working class, an independent working class approach 
to fighting the pandemic, an independent working class approach to fighting the convoy, the far right convoy, uh, the right populist convoy, an independent working class approach to, to fighting for higher wages, to fighting this, no reliance on the capitalist parties, on the state. And we, I hope we've made this clear in the pandemic, uh, why, or, or, sorry, during this podcast, uh, why that is, why we need to have an independent working class approach. It strengthens the movement. It strengthens not only the current movement that you're fighting in, but it strengthens the general movement because it shows that we can fight and win actually. And you don't rely on the state who is then most likely going to use the same repressive measures back against you, and as they have already done against many different movements. Uh, so yeah, I think that that's a big takeaway from what the Marxist approach is, is to build that independent working class approach uh, uh, to all of these questions. Anyway, Alex, I don't know if you have anything to add on this, or you have any like final words. We've kind of gone through like a lot of the main points we wanted to discuss. Yeah, well, I, I think I'd end up by saying, like, uh, part and parcel of building that independent working class approach is joining a revolutionary organization, joining the international Marxist tendency and fight back that, uh, you know, you go to, go to our website, marxist.ca, sign the join us form, get yourself a subscription and come to the Montreal Winter School this weekend. It is the biggest Marxist event in Canada. Uh, might be the biggest one in North America, I don't know, uh, close. And uh, we've built this up over the years and we've played a role. We were there in these counter demonstrations in Ottawa. We, we were ready to go uh, in Toronto. Uh, we're part, yeah, we've got organizers across the country. We're growing, we're building, more and more people are coming to revolutionary conclusions. We, yes, we were there in Montreal in those counter demos facing up against the riot cops that uh, you know, had a disgusting approach to counter protesters and be part of the movement, do something, absolutely do something with your life and learn, learn. Uh, that's why we're organizing this school this weekend. Yeah, so uh, I guess to end it off here, get involved. Uh, get involved in the fight for socialism, get involved in the fight for socialism in our lifetime. I register for the Marxist Winter School. Got 10 topics this weekend, discussions uh, with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, probably over a thousand people going to be there. Uh, and yeah, be a part of it. Get involved. We have to counter the forces of right populism uh, uh, with a bold working class, independent working class socialist response who, who targets the real the real uh, enemy, the real enemy, which is the capitalists, uh, the capitalist state uh, uh, and the, the bourgeoisie behind all of this, uh, who care more about profits than, 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 than anything else, than our lives, than public safety, uh, than fighting the pandemic. Uh, yeah, and that's really the, the overall message that we're trying to get across here. So, yeah, I hope that you can uh, you, go, you go to our website and you, you, you get involved, you come to the Winter School and you join us in the fight for socialism. Uh, I hope that you uh, you like the podcast and uh, yeah, you can come back next week and, 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 jo and join us again. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events. 
so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca, and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.